it's not about if I'm better off or worse off. It's not a comparison because we each have the, these trajectories and we come up against challenges. And every challenge we get over grows us and there's another one ahead. What I've learned though is that the darker the challenge, the deeper and heavier the challenge, the more light you're also able to start seeing. We don't understand joy until we understand sorrow. We don't understand relief until we understand fear. And so if we live in a place of numbness, which by the way was your last um, mm-hmm. podcast, episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we live in a state of numbness, it might help us to survive what we're facing now. And we may need to do that to get through it in the middle of the hardship. But if we choose to stay in that numbness for years, then we rob ourselves of the experience of life. This is the Help Me See podcast, and I'm your host, Bianca Mora. I'm an artist, an educator, and an anxiety-ridden mama who's obsessed with making meaning in art out of this one and only life. This podcast is about helping you see your life before it's gone. Like, really see it. I want to ask questions like, when does your now become your nostalgia? How can we be more intentional with the memories we're saving and not just capturing the highlight reel? You can expect an episode every Wednesday, some with just my introvert self rambling about what keeps me up at night, and some amazing guest speakers diving into how they choose to see. Something that seriously pains me is hearing, I wish I would have known how important that was at the time. I hate hearing that from others, and I'm scared to feel that for myself. I do feel like doing this podcast will be a comfort. I believe that if we continue having conversations about intention and awareness, that we can all live more fulfilled lives and create amazing work. I hope you leave each episode feeling inspired by your day-to-day with a deep peace of knowing that you're not missing it. So grab your coffee, settle in, and let's talk about everything that's right in front of us. Have you ever listened to one of my episodes and thought to yourself, yes, I know, I feel it. I know I need to take more photographs or videos or documentation, but I don't even know where to start. Sometimes we have major blind spots and even our obvious practices. I made a quiz to help you figure out what your blind spots might be. It's called What do your photos actually say about you? Find out what type of memory keeper you really are and what super important goodness you might be missing. Answer a few questions and I bet I'll be able to guess. You might even get a surprise freebie in your inbox afterwards to help you on your journey to take more meaningful, effortless photos of your life. Let me know what archetype that you got and share it with a friend. Have fun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me See. This week, we have a treat. This is probably my longest podcast episode yet. And it's simply because there was no reason to cut out one word. Uh, on the show, I have guest Dr. Marsha Natai Belkasun, and she is magic. 
I'm going to read a little bit about her bio so you know who you're listening to before we get into the show. Dr. Marsha Natai Belkasun is a storyteller and educator who believes that we each have a powerful purpose that should guide our lives. Marsha and her family have traversed significant challenges as one of her children is brain injured and bedridden. Her book, Lighting the Path, focuses on helping special needs parents cope with adversity, manage overwhelm, feel more connected, and tap into their resilience. Marsha has a gift of helping you connect deeply with your purpose in order to experience more joy and fulfillment. Her work helps spark brighter visions, shift mindsets, build habits, and enable you to live your best life each day, trusting that you are enough. She's an author, a tenured lecturer at the University of West Indies, a podcast host, and a certified parent skills master trainer, and truly a light in this world. I cannot say enough about her. Um, This conversation, I feel like I had to remind myself to close my mouth. It was like on the floor. She is just filled with such wisdom and she has such a beautiful way of telling her story and, and sharing, sharing her learnings with all of us. And I am so honored that she took the time. Um, I'm going to put all of her links and where you can find her and where you can check out her new book uh, in the show notes. So please do go check it out, check out her podcast. And I hope you enjoy um, everything that she has to offer. Hello, Marsha, and thank you so much for coming on the Help Me See podcast. How are you today? Hi, Bianca. I'm so happy to be here. I've been listening to a couple of the episodes you've had so far and really zoning into your message and realizing how aligned it is with some of what I've, I've been learning too. Um, and so reading all of those titles you have, I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know which one to listen to next. Oh. That makes me so happy. Sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, my my titles are run-on sentences, but I can't help it. That's what feels right to me. <laughs> right, just do it. <laughs> oh, thank you. So today we have a very powerful conversation in store. I, you know, we chatted briefly the other day and I loved every second of it. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. Today's topic is something that I feel like is so ever present in, I mean, who, who isn't this real for everyone's life? And that's finding hope and joy amidst the challenges of just your everyday real life and claiming and staying connected to your own identity through it all. Um, and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your story and how you've learned to keep connected to joy, um, and your identity through it all. Well, it's been, It's been a lot of ups and downs. And I guess when you have those downs, they get so heavy and so painful that you might find yourself in survival mode. And when we go into survival mode, I think we forget all about the nuances of what we should be experiencing in life. And all we do is we scrabble to survive, you know? Um, And so the the depth of the experience of life starts to disappear and you sort of might run the risk of waking up every day and living every day the same. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what happened to me. I 
This would be in 2012, so almost 10 years ago, my daughter was born and she was born with four problems in her heart. We were told that she, her problems included a, a moderate hole in her heart and that it was not possible where we live, which is in Trinidad in the West Indies, to do any surgery to help her at the time. So we had to wait until the problem became critical. And she, at eight months old, started to turn blue because her body wasn't providing enough oxygen to her cells. And so she started to become cold and she was at risk for stroke and seizure. And the doctor said, okay, <clears throat> now is the time. You need to go away to get surgery for her. Um, and that, that was it. If you take too long to arrange a surgery, if you wait too long, then, you know, we don't know if she'll come through this. So we did take her for open heart surgery. And unfortunately, while she was recovering in the, in the ICU, after the surgery had been successfully done, somebody took out the breathing tube and managed to dislodge the tube from her heart at the same time. So they pulled out the tube from her heart and she bled out um, and her heart stopped. She didn't have blood supplied to her brain for 20 minutes that night. She was flatlined for 20 minutes. And that starvation of her brain of blood um, resulted in her losing all of her senses when she did come back, losing the ability to suck and swallow. And us receiving a prognosis from the doctors that she would be a vegetable for life. So they summed it up just by telling us, you know, um, we expect her organs to shut down. We don't expect her to live. Um, and when she held on and did not die, um, they said, well, you're talking about a vegetative state. She'd be bedridden for life and unable to do anything. She can't see, she can't speak, she can't make a sound, she can't eat. So we think you should withhold food and just let her go. And if you all don't choose to do, do that, the other recommendation we got some, from some other doctors was put her in a home and move on with your life because your life also matters and it's sort of counterproductive to spend your effort on her. Well, we didn't choose option A or B because we had prayed to, to just get her back when she was flatlined. And after that 20 minutes, that prayer that we said, the heart started to beat right away. So you don't pray for your child and then say, oh, I didn't pray for her in this, in this situation. So, you know, take her back. So um, we just decided, okay, she's here. And our job is to figure how to get through day by day. Um, we didn't have answers. We didn't have a diagnosis about what was wrong. We didn't have a path that we were told to follow in order to help her to develop those senses or to hope that one day she could go to school or to even be able to get a sound. We'd see tears coming out. Her mouth was open and screaming, but no sound would come out and we'd just see tears. And... That maybe was the definition of hell for me, to see my child in pain and know that 
she couldn't express not even a sound. And she could not say, Mommy, I need help. She was eight months old, so she didn't have words. But she couldn't do that. And when we tried to touch her, our touch caused her pain. So we couldn't even touch her to comfort her. Um, so the first several years were spent in that survival mode. Um, seeing to her needs and keeping her alive, doing surgery to put a tube in and feeding her through that tube into her stomach every two hours, round the clock, which meant that there was no sleep that we could get. Um, dealing with all sorts of things because she also had started to seize as a result of the loss of the oxygen and all the damage. So we had a child who was seizing and had all these sensory needs and developmental needs. And um, I still had to hold on to a job and so did my husband because we came back home and we, we got in the mail the bill for everything that had happened after she had been hurt. So, although we had paid for the surgery before, there was this bill after somebody had caused the hurt saying, you are liable for lots and lots of US dollars. Um, and so you also have to hold on to this job. So what I would do is I would work, I changed my hours, I worked in the evenings and nights. My husband would come home after teaching at 3.30 I'd jump in the car and drive to work and I'd work till about nine and I'd come back home by which time he was putting the kids to bed because we have an older son too. Um, and he had gotten them down and then we would sit and eat if we got time or if she was crying, one would be there. And then he'd sleep with her most nights and I would do my research and so on for work and publish my my papers and whatnot to keep that job. And life became this to-do list. You'd wake up in the morning and you'd say, okay, there are 30 things on this list or 100 things on this list. And you just run like a mad person to get as many things done, knowing that you'd never finish them all. And the next morning you wake up and you continue that list. So there wasn't time to do anything more than care for the minimal needs of my son because everything was about Emma. Um, there was no time for relationship building with my spouse or anything. So we were just in, let's see about the children, you know. Um, my house looked like a hurricane passed through every single day because who gets to clean up the house? Um, and I had people coming to the house and saying, listen, couldn't you do better with your yard? Couldn't you grow some flowers outside? Um, I really don't think you're doing as much as you should for your daughter. Um, I think your choices about where you went to do surgery were flawed and that's why she's hurt. It's your fault. I mean, um, and you sit there buffeted by everything that's happening and you lose your voice and your sense of self. And you have no choice, right? You go numb because numbness is how you survive. Because you can't feel the depths of those painful um, experiences. 
the betrayal and the isolation and the fear for the future and the pain of all your child has lost and the guilt yourself, because I was wondering, did I genetically cause this? Did my choice cause this? Did I not research enough? Did I look for a cheaper option when I should have spent more for this surgery? And all of this is in the past. So what is the point of second guessing? But that's what we do. <clears throat> so maybe about seven years on, I had processed in little bites enough of these challenging things that I was able to say, okay, Marsh, there may be truth in some of these, but it is counterproductive to rip yourself apart, <clears throat> you know, day after day, week after week about the same issues. Surely life needs to be more than this for you. Like Emma is going to live if I have my way long beyond my lifespan. And that in itself is stressful. How do I prepare so that she's safe, so that she's cared for? I don't know anybody who's willing to take Emma. So that means I'm going to have to put Emma in a home, chances are. And how do I choose that place to make sure that my child who can't see or speak is not abused? Um, I don't know the answers, but if I stay stuck in those overwhelming thoughts and those really scary thoughts, then my life sort of, it gets dimmed. My light gets dimmed. We, each of us, regardless of our challenges, are here for so much more. Emma is a part of why I'm here. Emma is not all of why I'm here. Nor my husband, nor anybody else. But I couldn't see that until about two years ago. And then I realized life feels like drudgery. I wake up every morning. I love my child. And I get so much joy from her. But the fact is that saying I love her does not mean that if I'm honest, I will not say it's also very, very hard. And for those seven years, I felt so scared to admit that there are dark sides to this experience because I didn't want anybody to say what a horrible person you are to complain about your child. But that's the facts. The facts are that special needs parents carry a heavy load. There's a reward to the load, which is that we get this joyful, really special child. This Every single special needs child I know has some, I don't know how to express it, but some unexplainable light and joy inside. And sometimes the way they look or behave prevents other people from seeing that light. Because getting used to the surface scares people away from looking long enough to see past that. In my case, I stare at her all the time, right? I live with her all the time. So that light is the first thing I see. And a whole lot of joy also comes because Emma is systematically 
cracking every prognosis item that those doctors gave to us in half. She is verbal now. Well, she, she makes sounds now. Um, and her sounds mean that she has the ability to express so much more. She is actually diagnosed as blind. And yet when I pass red and yellow in front of her, she turns and she follows it. So I don't listen to those people who say she will never. Because they go on stats. And I go on hope. That's what we go on in this house. Because we've learned that if our hope dies for him, then her hope dies. But if we are able to see that we could push for more and we could work for more and maybe one day she will move one millimeter because once upon a time she couldn't move. Now she's reaching her hand up to hit stuff. And now she's kicking her legs one kick for every sentence of Twinkle Twinkle or whatever I'm telling her. If you want another line of this song that you love, kick. And she'll kick because she so wants the reward. And that started with one millimeter of a finger movement. So that's what we're learning to do. We're learning to say, okay, maybe all those developmental charts the developmental stages that I held really dear with my first child. Maybe I need to throw those out because she's not on that schedule. I think that broke me a lot. I am an, I'm a, a university lecturer. I come from two teachers. My entire family came out of indentureship and built to where we now are able to live good lives because of education. And so education means so much to me. And to see that my child would never be able to read or go to school, much less get a degree. I haven't reached there in, in morning yet, right? It doesn't matter to me. Finally, I, I was able to break off because I wanted that for her. I wanted her to be able to read stories. And the magic has happened that now I pull out read it yourself books and fairy tales and we read to her and she laughs because she recognizes these. So we do it differently. Right now there aren't picture books because she can't see the pictures, but there are cards on which I'll put a feather and she can feel the texture. So I can talk about a bird and give her the chance to feel. Or I can talk about playing and let her touch a pom-pom or something like that. So those are the ways we get close to giving her more of the experience. I'll grab her up in my arms. She's almost five feet tall now. She's um, almost 10 and she's pretty tall. So I lift her on me. I'm five foot nine and her feet kick me at the middle of my shin. So she's hard for me to handle. But for the minute I can handle her, I'll hold her and we'll swing around and we'll dance the music because she gets to move, you know? She can't dance, but she wants to move. 
and she wants interaction. And I think those experiences with M started to, to pass messages on to me. I feel like Emma is my teacher. That, mommy, you are waking up every morning and you are mourning what you have lost, the dreams you had to bury, the future that you can't live, that you originally planned to live. And, you know, while you're mourning what I've lost, I don't see that I've lost anything because I wake up every morning and I'm so happy to be alive. I'm so happy to hear that dog barking. I'm so happy to hear that bird in the tree. I'm so happy that you're saying this prayer with me and I can go at it while you sing it. <laughs> um, and you know what, mom? That's enough for me because I don't perceive any loss. I'm living fully who I am. And I'm using all that I am to do it. And finally, two years ago, that message finally got through. She had to be pounding on my head about seven years before I received the message. But I received it and the message was, you need to just live life fully. What, what do you feel was that moment of recognition that you, like, was it a switch or did like that you felt it like this is the realization or did, is it like you didn't know that it was upon you? It, it was slow in coming, me processing the pain and shifting it. But it was a switch. It was one morning I literally opened my eyes in the bed and I heard in the next room Emma's laugh filtering through the house. What was in my mind as I opened my eyes was not enough sleep. Uh, again, I've only had two hours sleep. Here we go with another hard day. That was what is, was in my mind. But there came Emma's laugh. And all of a sudden, that same reflection I just mentioned about that little girl perceives no loss. She's living such a joyful, full life and being all that she can be. The problem lies here in my perception in my acceptance that this is where I am. I can't change it. So grousing about it and crying about it, right? And feeling resentment about it sometimes too, because we are human and we feel resentful. We feel jealous looking at other people getting to do X, Y, or Z that you can't do, right? And then I started to realize how much I had to be grateful for. My child, we've never really seen another child so hurt who's survived here in this country. The child has survived. My child had no sound. Now she's laughing. Now she says, Dada, and she says, hello. And somebody came and said, so don't you feel bad that she says, Dada, but she does never call you? And I said, okay. Wrong model. My child says, Dada, what is not to celebrate there? My child has preferences for Dada. And I'm going to be the first one to say, hooray, she has preferences. Because that's a, a cognitive thing that she knows, okay. Yes, mom, she's okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yes, dad, 
this is why God sent me here. Oh, oh talk about daddy's girl. <laughs> he loves her with all he is. Oh. He does everything selflessly, you know, for her. And she prefers him so much. And I feel joyous seeing it, not jealous, because she should not be able to, if we went statistically, she shouldn't be able to do any of that, you know? So she's helped me to shift so much. And I still have lots of growing and shifting to do. I'm not like there or anything, but it's a huge shift. And because of that shift that she kind of switched on for me, I'm finally able to, 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 to open the door to say, okay, so if life is supposed to be more, what else do you want in your life, Marsha? It's not that Emma isn't enough, but I am here for more. I'm not here to just be in four walls. Emma isn't here to be in four walls. I actually think that Emma is here to teach lots of people and to grow awareness about special needs. And it's almost as if she can't speak it, so I'm her translator. That's how I see the relationship. You know, so a big part of what I'm doing, although I have my full-time job, I've sort of come alive to a whole different vision, a vision of advocacy and enablement for special needs, a vision of so much more support for them because the more we can expose her, the more opportunity she has to develop, right? And exposure doesn't even mean getting out, traveling, or anything like that. It just means, how can I get equipment for her? How can I create opportunity, even right there on the bed where she is bedridden? How can I give her fun? As opposed to work, because therapy can be either or. I can take a therapeutic exercise and I can say, do it again, do it again, do it again. And it can become drudgery and painful and hateful. And if every time I say to her, okay, therapy time, and she knows, okay, this is going to be half an hour of me being forced to do things. She's never going to enjoy it. She's not going to want to do it. And so we don't do therapy like that in this house. We have shifted therapy to become playtime. So I'll take the same things. I want you to move your leg. It's supposed to be really hard. But I'll pump your legs and show you that every time I pump your legs, you get one line of John Legend's All of Me, oh. which is one I have pumped. Oh. Right? Because she actually has playlists with Ed Sheeran and John Legend and whoever else. Um, and so I'll push the foot and I'll say, you know, one line, sing the next line, sing the next line. And then I'll say, okay, Emma Stin, if you want any more, you have to kick. And we'll do a half an hour of exercise. But she doesn't know that the exercise is about her using those muscles. She thinks the exercise is about singing. And that changes it. And as we've learned those tricks about how to engage her fun muscle, we've learned how to engage our fun muscles. Wow. So beautiful. So I actually wrote 
a vision for myself, like for five years into the future. And that vision for myself has me serving lots of special needs parents and helping them to move out of this overwhelm and pain and claim more joy and fulfillment for themselves. It has me developing retreat activities and care activities because we don't get to go anywhere. Because Emma is such a complex care child that other than Sean and I and some paid persons, we've never had like a family member take care of her. We've never had somebody say, how about I look after Emma and you all go out for an hour? Doesn't happen. So my dream is, because I know how hard that life is, I want a better life for me, but I want a better life for all of us who are in this situation. And so the vision is to have a retreat center. I don't know how it's magically going to happen. It has to obviously be small and steady movement. But I want a retreat center where you can come with your child and hand over your child to somebody you can trust who will care for your child. Your child is accessible if you want to peep in on them, but you have nothing to do. And you get to come be pampered by me out in a garden and I'm serving you pastries and you are relaxing and you are having time with your family, with other people who you can really empty your heart with, build friendships with, connect with, because connection is a big part of what we meant to do. And that's why isolation as a special needs parent is such a hard thing to deal with, you know? So I don't know where that has been growing from. I guess the pain was the mulch that helped all this stuff to grow, the, the vision to grow, right? Um, so I'm now in the stages of sharing that story of hope and sharing the tips and tools to say, listen, we don't have to reach to 100. We can start small and we can shift one behavior, one thought at a time. We're not competing against anybody else. We're not saying, oh, she has it all together and she's a special needs parent too. It's not about that. This is about my journey and my journey only. Your journey and your journey only. No competition, no comparison. Because we all face... Everybody, not special needs parents only, we all face these challenges that feel so huge to us. And sometimes when I talk to people and I say, you know, this is what my special needs child is facing, they, they seem to feel guilty. Like, why am I complaining about the challenge I had this morning? Like, you know, my child spit all over the sink and messed it up or something like that. And I'm, I'm, how many times do I have to say this? And they say, you know, I feel so bad that I'm complaining about my stuff when you have so much more to carry. But that's not what it is. It's not about if I'm better off or worse off. It's not a comparison because we each have the, these trajectories and we come up against challenges. And every challenge we get over grows us. And there's another one ahead. 
What I've learned though is that the darker the challenge, the deeper and heavier the challenge, the more light you're also able to start seeing. We don't understand joy until we understand sorrow. We don't understand relief until we understand fear. And so if we live in a place of numbness, which by the way was your last um, Mm -hmm. podcast, right? (laughs) If we live in a state of numbness, it might help us to survive what we're facing now. Mm -hmm. And we may need to do that to get through it in the middle of the hardship. But if we choose to stay in that numbness for years, then we rob ourselves of the experience of life. And that's the part that we want to teach ourselves how to step out of numbness. Yes, use numbness to help us survive. Yes, use numbness to help us cope in the short term. But then say, Listen, I have a reserve of strength inside me and it's time for me to start cracking open the door and seeing this scary stuff behind and dealing with it. Because if I could take one thing out and deal with it and toss it away, then eventually I get to empty all that stuff and open the door wide and let the light in and start seeing that life isn't what I thought it was because it's so much more in terms of how I experience it and also in terms of my potential to impact on so many other people through whatever my calling is. Is the most powerful story. And I, the common thread that I find to be so mind-bogglingly wonderful is your ability and I'm I'm wondering if this is something that you were born with or something that you've developed but your ability to look outside of the standards and and choose an option outside of the box you were given uh, options A and B you said no thank you no thank you you are you know looking at all of the milestones and this and deciding Okay, let's let's be done with that. These aren't relevant anymore. You know, what is my gauge for this? What is, you know, tapping into yourself and tapping into your unique like family dynamic and what is our gauge for hope? What is our gauge for fun? What is our gauge? And I think that that comparison is is a really slippery slope that happens um in today's day and age where everyone's looking around, what what should I be doing? How should I be feeling? And, and learning to, to look inside your internal compass and find those answers within yourself and your own world rather than the outside seems to be something that is key, is key to tapping into your joy. So is this something that you were doing your whole life or is this something that you cultivated um, later on? I think it's something I'm learning now. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm there. I think these are some of the things I've learned. Yeah. Some big life challenges. There were some big ones before M. I didn't really think the standard of M's challenge was ever going to be mine. I couldn't imagine that one. But I thought that there were some big ones, you know. Um, 
and each time you sort of do serious introspection when you face the biggest challenges it throws you maybe it's it's an introvert thing because that's that's who i am um introverts kind of come to themselves and do a lot of inner processing and heal a lot when they're alone right mm-hmm. um so all those hard things the losses and the abuses and all those things that may have come in my past each one of those i had to learn to cope with and some of them earlier in my life and when i say earlier up to up until my mid 30s i didn't deal with very well i did the wrong things i would say i self harmed sometimes and it took me until my mid 30s to realize i was self harming and to teach myself to do it better. people who self harm i don't think it's so easy to just stop um but at least mindfully i could i i could acknowledge that i did and i could say do you want something else for yourself how are you going to do it and slowly move myself into a different way of living and i think because i went through the this the self destruction thinking that i had no value because people had abused me um because i had no value i hurt myself too i think because i had no value i never really got to know what my own personality or style was i was what other people needed me to be i didn't think i had enough importance to show who i was because i was so nerdy and i was so ugly and i was so everything that's where i was in my young adulthood in my teens um and way up into my mid 30s that's how i felt about me and i don't know how but eventually the number of challenges grew so much the load became so much that the model it, it just had to break and i reached that breaking point um being bullied at at work by a co-manager i was a manager who was being abused by her co-manager for years and still not believing in myself enough that i would stand up i let him continue doing that and i would come home and i'd cry the minute i saw my husband who was my safe space I'd cry rocking loud screaming cries and I couldn't use words to express the pain and I think that finally that level of pain took me to a place where I had to say no mash we can't do this anymore there is no you like you are a shell you only do what everybody else expects you only present the face that everybody else needs you do you have any idea who you are and and i didn't and so in my mid 30s i started to explore who i was how did you tap into that how what what are some of the things you did and your discoveries um 
how did I do that? I think it was a lot of just journaling, a lot of self-reflection and saying, how do I feel about myself? And it was, you've, you, you, I hear now people talking about when you see yourself reflected on a screen. If I look at television shows and there are people like me on a screen, I learn to value people that look like me and therefore I learn the value of myself. That didn't really exist too much, right? So I didn't understand that. But I'm looking back now and realizing because I looked into the mirror and all I could see was the things I'd been told as a child. Your nose is too big. You are ugly. Your legs are too skinny. You are ugly. You don't speak properly. You are too brash in your behavior. You are too this and that and the other. And I internalized those things and took them for gospel truth because of who had told me those things. I didn't have enough. I didn't feel I was enough to warrant pushing back against those rules that somebody else had, had set for me. And so I grew up into an adult who felt that way too. And the way you feel about yourself becomes the way other people look at you. You know, if I don't think I'm, I'm like this cool person, or if I don't think that people will like to be around me, then people will not be around me and be joyful because my energy is not something people want to be around. Didn't understand those things. And I'm finally at a place where I've worked through those things. So I just took like notebooks that you'd buy in the grocery store or in the drugstore. Just grab a notebook and I wrote every mental model that I have down as they flowed. What do you think about how you look? What do you think about what's your attitude about what makes somebody worthwhile and what makes somebody not worthwhile? And I started to realize that my attitude was, if you are rich, you are not trustworthy. Because that means that you're not caring for people who are not well off. Or if you are, I had this attitude to myself. You are an East Indian girl from a little country village. You have this accent from a small Caribbean island. Nobody wants to hear you or see you because you just don't look like you are worthy. and You don't sound like you are worthy and you surely don't have substance enough to make you worthy. And the day I started writing things like that down, it was shocking. I didn't realize I believed those things, but I did. And once you see it there in black and white, you can see if somebody else said this to me, because I'm a teacher and I tell my students they are worthy, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what kind of hair they have, regardless of their skin tone, I tell them this and I so strongly believe it. And yet I was still subjugating myself. And the day that came out on that page, I looked at it and I said, wow, how could you so strongly believe in advocating for and helping your students to step up, but you've never felt like you could help yourself. 
And how could you be so old and not have realized it? Um, and so I started systematically changing some of those things. Uh, that is, I mean, I think that now it, there might be some notions about journaling and how, you know, it might seem more flowery of a thing, but what you said about when you see it in black and white, it's just different. And I think that we can go through life. We are in our body. Well, sometimes we're not in our body, but we are living ourselves throughout our whole life. And I find sometimes with myself that I have all of these assumptions of how I feel about things and, you know, what I like, what I don't like, what I am. And it takes something knocking me off kilter to think, oh, wait, but, but why? I do something where I ask myself why three times. If I, if I am finding myself on autopilot mode, if I say, oh, I like, I do this. This is something I do. I'll ask myself why three times and I get three layers deep. And that last layer, I think to myself, what? <laughs> you know, so the same thing is like when you're forcing yourself to journal, when you're saying, no, I can not have to write it out and my, make my hand tired. And I can just think through the things that I think and the things that I feel you're not excavating. You're not doing the deep work of pulling it out. And it's so much more powerful than I think we can give it credit for. And I, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in awe of it. There's one more benefit to writing it out, Bianca, and I, I didn't really understand it until I have a stack of those, you know, self-worth journals now, and I flip back to one that's a few years old. That girl is totally different from where I am now, right? Mm. From who I am now. I still had Emmy, but I'm so much, how do I say this? lighter inside because I've dumped a whole lot of the stuff that was weighing me down and that was about self-identity it was also about judgment when I eased up on self-judgment I started to ease up on judging other people too and I didn't know that that happened wow. but it definitely happens because when you are your harshest judge, which is who I am, lots of type A people are your harshest judge, right? Their own harshest judge. Um, I rip myself to shreds and say, you dummy, you made a mistake again. And I'd literally hit myself on the... Because... So I'm punishing myself not only with my words, but physically hurting myself. And I look back now at those things. And to be honest, I haven't written recently to say, you know, what my beliefs are. But they certainly have come a long way from where I used to be. Oh, oh my God. It's like writing it is like a, pulling it out. It makes me think of in yoga, sometimes I say, you know, to breathe out. But then when you think you've breathed it out, like push it out even more. And they call it like the stale air, like breathe out right. that stale air. And that's what it is. It's like, you think you're thinking, you think and you talk and you think that that's enough. Yeah. 
But like when you really push yourself past the comfortable part, that's where the transformation, that's where the growth happens. Oh my goodness. And I think what that did is it opened up my ability to dream and to want more. Like, what are you really here for? M is a big part of it. But M isn't all of it because there's also me. Right? I'm not only M. So I'd forgotten what else I was. I'd forgotten I had the right to be more. And I started by doing a visioning exercise. So I actually closed my eyes and I did this whole meditation where I was looking at my future self. And a part of that whole reflective thing included me holding the hand of a little girl in a flower dress and walking through a garden. And it was Em and Em was walking with me and holding my hand and we were walking through a garden. And I remember being so shocked because my, my Em is brain injured with two dislocated hips and no senses and all the reasons why this is impossible. And from there flowed this entire vision about the business that we ran, the people we were helping, the life that Emma had come to, the connection of my family. And really that was a vision of joy and fulfillment, which is the ultimate thing. And so I wrote that vision out. I actually included it in my book. It's in the um, it's in the appendix of the book because there's a whole chapter talking to people about how you can develop your vision and actually walking you through the steps to feel it as opposed to just see it so that you can really, really own this thing. And I said, you know, you don't just tell people get vulnerable and do this. You have to be willing to be vulnerable too. And that's how you meet people halfway so I shared mine as well um and going through the book you know chapter by chapter saying what is the life that you deserve what is the life you live now what are all the heavy things you experience now let's really plumb those depths not forcing you to face what you're not ready to face but the things that are coming up now your psyche is telling you time to face them so pull them out to the extent that you're ready and face them. And as more comes up, you'll get the chance to face that. It's not our clearing house. It's just you letting yourself evolve. So I gave myself, I think, the chance with the book to say to people, I want to help you because I think you might be going through the same sorts of things that we've been going through. And I want you to realize that you might be living in such a way that you feel like you're in a hole and you can't get out. You're isolated and nobody understands where you are. That's how I felt. And we might be thousands of miles apart and we might never physically meet. But I want you to know that you are not alone on this journey. Because you have a friend, you know, way over there in that country who is walking many of the same roads that you are. And here are some of the things you can do to help you to plumb the depths, as well as here are some parts 
that talk about the joys and the resilience and the hope and the tools you can use to connect you to gratitude and, and, and positive things as well. And then beyond that, what more do you need to create in your, in your life? You deserve good health. You deserve to provide that for your family. But we lose self-care first. It's the last to come back. Because we place everybody else at higher priorities than ourselves. So how do we rebuild our relationship with our spouse or a significant other? How do we give more than just the basics to our other children? How do we do everything we have to do for this sick child, this special needs child, but do it in a way that gives them such a full experience? And despite you wanting to be all things to all of these people and build out that vision for this fuller life phase of, how do you also remember that you count? And by you, I mean financial planning, for you, for your child, for everything, caring for your health, in terms of how you eat, in terms of this, the condition of your body, in terms of, and I'm saying that mostly to me because I'm very, very, very lacking in terms of self-care, you know, especially with exercise. Time doesn't come and I'm happy to say I didn't have time, but I need to shift that. Um, and also... How do I shift it all in terms of, you know, wrapping this bow on everything and giving myself time to reconnect with me? I love that you gave permission when you talk, spoke about um, the activity in your book and the conversation around the vision board. You gave permission for it to not be all encompassing. You said this isn't a clearing house, like you don't have to be ready to go to the pits of your soul and dig out the hardest stuff for it to matter. Like you can just start, you can just start with small things that feel good. You can just start with small things that you know, aren't that important, but you can focus on them and make them right for yourself. And I think that that's, I think that there's an all or nothing mentality, um, an extremist kind of view over things. And if we can't do it a hundred percent, right, we don't even try it at all. And yeah. these small things can add up and give you the momentum you need to make the big changes and make a big difference overall. Yeah. Or, or if I post on social media, it must be a positive post always. Oh. You know, um, yeah, people curate their lives and they put up all the happiest things. But nobody spends 365 days a year traveling to fancy countries. Those are just the snippets that they choose to show. Mm. So we sit here, you know, in our subjugated state and we look at that curated vision and we say, what a sad excuse for a life you're living. And I realize that's not true. Would I change my life as it is? Sometimes I wish Emmy doesn't have, didn't have to go through what she's going through. Sometimes I wish I could do all the fun things that I see so many other people can do. Um, I think I wouldn't be human if I didn't wish for some of those things. But do I really, really want those? If I somebody asks me a really stupid question, and I'm saying it's a stupid question because I took offense when it was asked. I 
had launched my book. And following the book launch, I received a message in my text, on my WhatsApp. And it said, if you, if you, if, if you could have a life without Emma, would you have it? Would you choose that? And I sat there and I said, oh my God, who in heaven's name asked this? If I could live a life without Emma, would I do it? Because it would be an easier life. It would be, I live a life that has huge lows and highs. Like the span of my life in terms of how much I experience emotionally is huge. If I take Emma out from it, if I take all of our experiences because we have Emma out of it, this is what we'd be living. Would I lose this depth of negativity? Sure, but if it meant that I lost this height of joy, would I want to lose Emma? No. I, I wouldn't want to lose M at all because M has... M has brought boundless, unimaginable joy to her brother, her daddy, and me. I can't compare it. Mm. None of us would ever choose mm. a life without her. Mm. Because it feels like, like this family was made up of just the four people who needed to be in it. And it wouldn't be complete without the others, you know? Worse. Even though we can all irritate the heck out of each other sometimes. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I think I think that most special needs parents would say that. Yeah. I think that most parents would say that. I can't even say that this is a special needs statement. Yeah. 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 Because they are the lights of our lives. One million percent. And you spoke about um, the the highlight reel, essentially, and how we can see people living their best moments, their snippets. And that's something that I feel so passionate about is, you know, being honest, being vulnerable. But no matter how many times I do it, it always comes to me and it like a little pinch of like, oh, I really, I hope no one feels that I'm ungrateful. And I hope that, you know, no one feels that I'm being so negative, but I have to push past that because that type of mentality and worrying about someone judging you is what keeps other people feeling so alone and feeling like, you know, I'm doing it wrong because everyone else looks like they're having a beautiful you know, picturesque life and I'm sitting here in this frustration. So yeah. I, I I love the focus on, you know, just being just being real and and reminding reminding people that we aren't we aren't alone in this. Yeah. It's like, you know, they have these um geodes that when you cut through the geode you yes. see mm-hmm. everything in it, right? Yeah. So to me, I would like my social media account to to show 
the cross section. Let me show you, let me give you an honest view of all that we experience. Because some other special needs parent needs to see, hey, she's going through this tough stuff, stuff too. Or, well, here's an approach she tried that worked. Maybe I could try this, you know? Or let's celebrate together because today Emma turns nine and nobody had thought that she'd make it here or something like that, you know? So there's bittersweet stuff. Sometimes there's so much high that you can show and behind it came a whole lot of sacrifice. And sometimes there's a really hard branding thing happening or something that you're angry about, right? And you have the right to also share that along with the celebrations, along with the pride of, you know, so many things, along with the announcements that, you know, you're offering this or you're doing this. So whether people think it's right or wrong, that's the choices that that I'm making because I feel like I don't want to just give that highlight for you. My life isn't the kind that has enough of those highlights anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my highlight might be, oh, I just heard a bird outside and I love how he's singing. Who wants to hear that 10 times? (laughs) But it is, there is something that is so important to be reminded of this and oh, how we need it. Now, tell us, tell us about your podcast tell us about what your mission is on your podcast because i i just want to talk about it and i'm so excited for you to share okay so well i mentioned that the big thing that that's been recently driving me for about two years now is that i don't want another special needs parent to feel as decimated as as we've felt for so many years and a lot of the work I've done so far is just outreach, just sharing and just saying, you know, here are the things we celebrate. Here are the things we experience, good, bad, and in between. Here are the approaches we use. Um, in June this year, we launched, I launched the, the Lighting the Path book. And while the book is there, what it occurs to me is is much more needed is that special needs parents they don't get to go to a movie not not often they don't get to sit and watch a movie uninterrupted even in their own living room so but what they do do is while they're doing their work they can put headphones on and they can listen so i was like okay maybe what you need to do is a short podcast And this short podcast will be about the experiences of special needs parents, about learning from me, yes, or hearing my stories, yes, right? Or hearing stories about others and also about tuning into interviews with special needs parents and professionals so they can share their experiences and insights and tips and tools as well. So the podcast is called The Special Needs Parent Podcast, which is like the easiest name to remember. (laughs) Because we don't need to have another thing to remember, right? (laughs) You're really speaking to your audience. (laughs) 
So the, you want a podcast for special needs parents? Find the special needs parent podcast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the reason that it's named that, it's not about special needs children. Yeah. This is a podcast for us to remind us that we deserve joy and fulfillment in our lives and our child's, our children, special needs and otherwise, are part of that, but not all of it. And that there is more that we deserve. So I explore some of the challenges we face with our kids, but I also explore our dreams and handling our inner critic and finding more hope and opening the door to get a, full, a fuller, more fulfilling life. Uh, so wonderful. And please tell us, Lighting the Path, Leaning into a Hopeful Future as a Special Needs Parent, that is your book that recently launched. Where can people find it? Um, there are dozens and dozens of places you can find it in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia especially. Um, Barnes & Noble and some of those more popular ones that you all have in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazon for sure. So Amazon is the first place. Awesome. There is a universal book link, so I'll give it to you. Yes. Um, and maybe you can put it in the show notes so people will be able to find it. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to say that the people who have read it have given me pretty good feedback. Um, and the cool thing to hear from somebody is, I wish I had this when it happened. Uh. Because it's exactly where I wrote it. When it happened, I wanted somebody to hold my hand. And so I decided, you know, I want this book to be that book that holds their hand and that they know me and feel that I'm their friend holding their hand from some magical place, very, very far away, but yet very, very close. Um, and that's a cool thing. So reading the reviews has really filled up my heart because those reviews say, I feel, I feel so much more accepted and seen. And that was, and isn't that the most beautiful part of putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and creating a labor of love that's honest is that you give someone the gift of feeling seen when you hold that back. It's, it's holding back that gift for everyone else that needs it the most. And Oh, can, do you want to share your favorite review that you got from the book? I'll tell you, there are so many, and, I, and I'm not somebody who remembers like the words, but I remember the sentiment, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, I remember I asked some people to do an advanced reading for me. And I chose people who were not like extremely close to me mm -hmm. because I wanted critical feedback. So I chose psychologists and doctors and social workers and, you know, therapists and all these people with these backgrounds and parents of special needs kids. And I gave them the book and I said, I want you to give me critical feedback. And one girl wrote me and she said, Marsha, she's a, a, a counselor and she deals with grief and so on. And she said, Marsha, there's something you don't know about me that I have a special needs child. So you had no idea that she did. No, I asked her from the other, from her professional oh, side, right? Oh, I see, I see. She said, I sat 
with a notebook and I wrote notes through your whole book. And I have a list of things that we are now rolling out in our family because we've learned it from you. Oh. And it's changing our experience as special needs parents. At the same time that she had sent that message to me, I was going through, we had launched a book and I was being faced with people talking about sales numbers, reviews, how many reviews do you have, how many stars, that kind of thing, right? And I remember being at this crossroads where I had to decide, am I going to be driven by this need to always see, am I 4.8 stars or 4.9 stars? Did anybody give me a one star? Did anybody say this lady is full of crap or, you know, um, and I found myself reading those reviews and feeling good, but then saying to myself, I don't think I want to live like this. You know, always standing there waiting for some negative one to come. And when the negative one comes or if the negative one comes, I'd feel like suddenly the value of what I'd done had been depreciated. And I told myself, you know what, Marsh, remember why you wrote the book. And the reason I wrote the book was for the one parent whose child was being hurt at the moment. I wrote the book because one person was going through what we had gone through and one person needed that book. And in came this email saying, I'm the one person who made a difference before even the first book was sold. Mm. And I said, okay, good. Then the whole book is worth it. You've touched the one. You decided those stars aren't my standard. That is my standard. I wrote it for the one, right? Yep. Yep. And really, isn't that it? When you personalize your approach, when you reach out and connect with one person, that's the biggest meaning in our life, I think. Connecting with somebody, seeing somebody, serving somebody, loving somebody. And so that course corrected me. Mm. And that's why I couldn't tell you, you know, like what the review was, because I have some really nice reviews and they've touched my heart as I read each one. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember this person said these words and this. But you, you read everything you needed to in that one email. Yes, because she received what I wanted to give. Ah, oh, what a beautiful sentiment. Marsha, I mean, I can't, there are no words. There are, <laughs> you are a light. Emma's a light. Your whole family is such a light. And I am so grateful that you came on to tell your story. Please tell everyone, tell everyone where we can find you. I will put all of the links in the show notes. Um, you can find me easiest. You can just my name. I have a page and a personal profile on Facebook, but my website is Marcia. That's the spelling of my name, Marcia NB.com. NB for my last name, which nobody can pronounce. So, <laughs> so I save everybody the trouble by going Marcia. Um, and in there, there you'll see lots of different resources that, that I've created. 
Um, I do a newsletter every month to support special needs parents. I send out, you know, like tips and, and so on on email. Um, there are lots and lots of different podcasts and resources. And there's a freebie that I'll be sure to share the link with as well. Yes, yes. tell us a little bit about your freebie. So because we talked about, you know, what really matters and what do we want to make our lives fuller? Um, there was an exercise that I made up for myself and that exercise helped me to see what did I really want to achieve in my life? I was never getting to them because I would always focus on everything else and everybody else in my to-do list and my stuff kind of always fell off the bottom of the list. Never, I never got it. Um, and I started to realize, listen, you don't change your life unless you start squeezing in time for the important stuff. So the first step was figuring out what that important stuff was. And so this PDF um, will help you to get clear on what the important things are for you, to you. And that could include your family and your child and everything. But it goes beyond that. And then once you take stock of all these things you'd like to achieve, this person you'd like to become, these experiences you'd like to have, and even the material things that you'd like to have, once you take stock of that, you then decide, okay, so what are the actions I'm going to take to help me to start crafting that life that, that you want? Step by step by step. So I can take minuscule action every day set aside 10 minutes a day and change your life. Ah, uh, how exciting that this is a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> so I will be sure to link the freebie, the book, the website, everything that you can, you can find on Marsha in the show notes. So please check it out. Um, and I hope you all go over and listen to more of Marsha on her, on her podcast. Thank you so much for being here. This was such a powerful conversation as I knew it would be. Thanks for doing what you do, Bianca. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to get in on actual conversations with me, join the Help Me See podcast private Facebook group. Every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern time, I'll be hopping on live for Q&A on the latest episode and for free consulting if you need a bit of help thinking about ways to save your memories. Did you get something out of this episode? I really, really, really hope you did. And I would love to hear from you. I'm on a mission to empower you to feel peace knowing that you are not missing your life. One of the best ways that you can support me is leaving a review. And honestly, I'd rather hear about the memory you saved because of this podcast rather than any kind of accolade. Tell me how this podcast has impacted you and one, I'll probably cry. <laughs> and two, I'd love to give you a shout out on the show. Take a minute and head out to the link in the bio to write a review now on the podcast.